Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for uh, joining us today. I'm starting uh, a new series called Identity Crisis today, and it is a bit of a sequel to where we finished last week with losing my religion. And the, the reason that I wanted to speak on this is I feel like, you know, losing my religion was all about the things that we need to hold on to in our faith. And identity crisis is going to kind of spin off of that because I think we have a crisis going on of where we find our value, where we find our, our, what our worth is. And so I'm going to be working through the, the easiest book or maybe the, the most beneficial book for us in the Bible to do that is actually the book of Ephesians. And so we are going to be studying through kind of not chapter by chapter, but we'll be walking through the book of Ephesians together. It's actually uh, the women's ministry Bible study is doing this a deeper dive on Tuesday nights as well. And I thought that would be kind of fun to you know, have a little bit of backup and support that way. Now, what is the book of Ephesians? So your Bible, if you're, if you're new to it, is split up into two different books, the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, oh, wait. Um, all right, so we wanted to do this. This is a bit of a setup. Um, the kids' ministry is kind of being upgraded on some, some facets. So this is uh, if there's something going on that we need your help with. So on the screen from going forward, when you're a parent, you're getting checked in, uh, you get one of these. So Gideon is B9R7 uh, today. Um, and so if Gideon needs a little bit of help, who's my kid, uh, this is our way of letting you know Gideon's freaking out. Please come uh, to the Kids Ridge room, okay? Note what we don't do is uh, we don't say Gideon, uh, Gideon's dad, please come to Kids Ridge, and then you're going to see that every week and know um, that Gideon's having some issues going on. So keep those tags, and if there is something where we, get, where we need you, it'll be up on the screen. And then you can just kind of get up and go do your thing, and nobody will We're not like saying, you know, coming into the room and yelling your name um, because sometimes it happens. That's all right. That's that's all part of being uh, all part of being a parent and getting your kids in the church. So one of the ways that we can study the Bible is when we are in the New Testament, you it is separated into a couple different sections. And the New Testament has the four Gospels. Gospel meaning, you know, the good news. This is going to be where you are learning the story of Christ. So those are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you kind of have more of the narrative pieces. uh, And that's going to be, you know, the Acts of the Apostles. That's going to show you kind of the birth of the early church. And then you're going to get into, it's called the epistles or the letters. And these letters are letters generally to a certain church or to a person, you know, to, to, that, are, that we've found and that God breathed his spirit into it. And so one of those churches is a church in a city called Ephesus. And Ephesus is where you get the book of Ephesians. Same way it's a, you know, the Galatians is a church in Galatia. So it's, that's kind of how this works. And depending upon where and who is writing it, Paul at this point is in prison and is writing a letter back to this church he served at. 
and helped establish. And you can read about that in the book of Acts. So it's kind of fun when you can see Paul in like Acts 15, 16. He was establishing this church in Ephesus. And then later on, he's going to write back to them. And he, this is known as a very encouraging uh, letter because uh, this church went through some stuff and he is encouraging them. And I chose this because at the beginning of it, he is, uh, Ephesians is basically separated into two chunks. The first chunk is a reminder of who you are. It is who you are in Christ Jesus. And the second half is effectively, now then, what should you do? Or how you know, should you live with the reality of who you are? And I feel like we are constantly trying to find our identity in things that are not of Christ. Uh, we are looking to find our value and our worth and a whole lot of other things. But our eyes are, are kind of covered to who we really are. And so in reality, we are chasing temporary things. And Paul speaks to this in Ephesians 1. That's where we're going to begin in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one that is to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's go back to verse 18 for me. And it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. So some, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened for you to realize who you are. That you are called into God's family and now you have the inheritance, the riches of his, his glorious inheritance as children of God. That if you just knew who you were, if you just knew you know, where, you fought, where, where you should place your identity, as long as we are kind of shielded from that reality, we won't you know, understand or necessarily live the way in order that we ought to. Because if we knew that we were identified in Christ, then out of that should be born a new way of living. And that's effectively the second half of Ephesians. But he has to establish at the very beginning, remember who you are. And he's going to say this repeatedly over and over and over. Unfortunately, uh, go back to the last verse for me there in 23. Unfortunately, uh, years ago, we added chapters and verses to the Bible. So we added a numbering system. And it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine, but I understand why we did it. The reason we did it is when we got the scripture and we said, hey, where was that part in John, like near the front? How far in the front? You know, he was talking about that he loved the world. And you go, oh, well, yeah, it's near the beginning. And you would go back. And it would take a lot of time kind of finding things. So somebody at some point said, hey, let's put chapters, numbers, and then verses. So in our mind, though, what we do is we separate and block off Ephesians 1 like it has nothing to do with Ephesians 2. 
Or, you know, Ephesians 1, 23, which is the last verse of 1, has nothing to do with Ephesians 2, verse 1. When in reality, the, the, Paul, when he was writing this, was just writing the text. So Ephesians 2, so he's, he's talking a lot about the body and about how, you know, God is the head of this and the family. He then goes and, and he makes a transition here. This is why they make the chapter change. And he says, but as for you, so we just talked about who Jesus is and who you are, but as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us lived among them at one time, they gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. Go back to verse 8 for me, and we'll start from there. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. This is the gift of God. Now, contextually, here's what's going on. Paul um, was a Pharisee. Uh, which was a sect of Judaism, and they loved rules. They loved a list. And in order to gain access to God or to gain access to salvation, you had to, there's some things you could do, there's some things you couldn't do. And if you did not do the things that you shouldn't, you know, it was a, a constant kind of checklist going on. So Paul's saying, it is by grace that you have been saved, and there's nothing that you can do about it. This is a work of God, not you keeping a well-defined list or performing. Unfortunately, humans love a list. We love a list of who's in and who's out. And this concept that there is nothing that you can do you know, through your works or your actions in order to gain the, the adoration, to gain the love of God is entirely unique to Christianity. This is, this is what sets us apart from, you know, you don't have to pray a certain prayer. You don't have to face a certain direction. You don't have to have things you can no longer eat. Uh, this is entirely unique to us and that God's already done the work. It's up to us to accept that. And because of that acceptance, then out of that is born good works. Not you have to do good things in order for God to even be in the room with you. You have, to, you have to do good things in order for God to, you know, just not want to hit you with lightning bolts. Or you have to do all of these various, you know, um, prayers or whatever that might be. Christianity says, no, actually, you just have to accept that God loved you so much that there was nothing that you could actually ever do. It was up to him to rescue you. But we love a list. 
So we're constantly fighting that list. So let's say you have a list of 10 behaviors that you think Christians should not be doing. I'm not going to list 10. Okay? Now, what if you are currently doing three of them? What are we going to do? We're going to find somebody that's doing five. And we're going to say, well, at least I'm not like that guy. But then, what if there's somebody who's only doing one of them? They're going to look at you and say, at least I'm not like him. And you're going to look at them and say, I can't believe you're so judgmental that you would dare to judge me. However, you are currently judging Mr. Five, who is currently judging Mr. Nine. And up and down the track we go. And we will always do that. It is just a part of our humanity and a part of our heart. It's our fallen nature. So much so that we've made a sport of it. You know, when somebody is, you know, going through something in their marriage or somebody is going, you know, or a celebrity is doing something, we think, I can't believe that they would do that. I'm so much better than them. Right? We don't say it, but that is exactly how we are acting. Because we love a list. We're constantly building lists of acceptable and unacceptable behavior. And that is what Jesus is, is rescuing us from at this point. But we are finding our identity, maybe, in putting other people down so we can lift ourselves up. We are finding identity in, our, in what other people think of us. That's a const, that is a major issue occurring now. Especially in light of social media or everything being online. It's, we are judging what other people are doing. Or maybe we're trying, to, we're, we're trying to convince other people to come to our side. Because our side is so much better than their side. Your identity is not in what you do as a career. It is not in what you feel. Your identity is not in who you love. It's not in your children or in their performance. Your identity is, is not it, it, what gives you satisfaction. It's not in what hobby you find yourself in. It is not in your behavior, good or bad. Your identity is in what the Bible says you are. And that is verse 10 of Ephesians 2. And it says, you are God's handiwork. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You have to get the first part of that right. You are a child of God. And out of that should be born these good works. Should be born things because of how close we are to Christ. We can't help but to do good things. Unfortunately, the church has done the church and, and society, but we're, we play a role in this as well. The church has done, I'm going to look at whether or not you're doing good things or bad things and judge whether or not you are in Christ Jesus at all. We're doing the other way. So my job is not to stand up here and preach behavior modification. Because who gets to make that list? That's kind of a, that's kind of a hard one, right? 
And throughout the centuries, churches have determined what behavior upset them the most or what things were the, uh, you know, the priority to get right. And if you aren't doing this or you're listening to that kind of music, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it changes throughout time. My job is to get you as close to Jesus Christ as possible so that out of that is born good things. Not do the good things and then Jesus will love you. It's be close to Jesus, and then all of a sudden you're going to kind of notice something within you, and you'll find conviction. And in that conviction is the Holy Spirit saying, knock it off. We like to be the knock it off people, though, don't we? But I'm just guy number three, judging guy number five at that point. When really the Holy Spirit that lives within the believer is whispering to you, you know this isn't what Jesus is about, right? You know, as a child of God, you've placed your identity in him. Why are you behaving in this manner? You can feel it sometimes. Sometimes that's really hard. When, you know, when it's an obvious conviction moment, normally mine happens at Target, and um, you have those moments of just brutal judgment, and all of a sudden there's this whisper, and God goes, really? You're going to judge them on that? How's your closet looking? Oh. All of a sudden it's like a mirror, and the Holy Spirit's whispering, and it says, knock it off. You, they are as much a child of God as you are. Your identity is in me, not on whether or not you value yourself above them or below them. It doesn't matter. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. And if we would live that, we would, we would not be as divided as we may feel. Even in the church, the church has divisions. Because we're placing our identity on causes or politics or, or whatever we may be the, 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 the moment that week when our identity should be solely in Christ Jesus, not on whether or not I can win you to my side of the argument. Because in reality, my side of the argument is flooded with me when we should be trying encouraging one another to be as close to Jesus as humanly possible and let him do the conviction. He's much better judge than I am. You don't want me on the judgment side. I'm not fair. There's things that I pick over other things. There's things that I'm passionate about that may I'm less passionate about others. But we love a list. So Ephesians 2, it, let's go back to the beginning because I want you now, now knowing all of this, I want you to hear this. You were dead in your transgressions. Remember who you were now I'm going to tell you who you are. You, we, you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us, he's saying, I, we were all in this boat before we met Jesus. All of us lived among them at one time. We were gratifying the, cla the cravings of our flesh and we followed its desires and its thoughts wherever it would take us. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, not based off of your performance, not based off of whether you had wonderful, you know, you're the, 
you floated in here uh, this morning. Everybody just looked at you and, whoa, that, that person's just a, that's the holiest person I've ever seen. It's because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive. You were dead, now you are alive. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith that this is not from you. It is not about you. It is about what Jesus did. It's not about your performance or how well you're keeping the list. It's about who you know. And that is so critical for us to remember. Because I feel like we are constantly trying to place our identity in a whole lot of different things. This is a core kind of foundational life issue. What if you could go back to your 13-year-old self and get a minute? Do you remember what you thought was the biggest deal in the world when you were 13? Or... 15, or I can't, some, maybe we got to bring it up to a 30-year-old self for some of us, right? But the biggest deal in the world was whether or not this person liked you or what people were whispering about you in the halls at school or... There was one time. I was 12 or 13 years old. And I remember wanting friends to come over to my house. Now, we lived out um, 30 minutes away from where my school was. We drove in every morning, uh, lived out in the hills of eastern or southwest Ohio. And where I went to school was kind of fancy, fancy pants town. And um, our house was 800 square feet. We, my brothers and I slept upstairs technically the attic. And as we, it was fine when you were little, but as you grew up, we had to do this and to get to our beds. It was, it was a one and a half story. And my mom was always so embarrassed of our house, so I never had a friend come over. I would always go there. Till one day, mom wasn't home. I brought a friend over, fully expecting judgment, we just had a great, we, we, we played. 16, 17 years old, I don't know what we did. We went in my room and, you know, we're probably watching MTV when he used to play videos. <laughs> Made sure he left before mom got home from work. And it never happened again because my mom was so terrified of what others would think of us in our home because of how poor we were. And I remember th- Looking back, and I felt like I got away with something. She died before I ever told her, so I did get away with it. (laughs) And I remember that that was such a big deal of what other people thought of us. When in reality, I just wanted a friend to come over. 
So if you could go back and talk to the 15-year-old self or whatever that person is and say, don't you know who you are? You are a child of God, and whatever Stephanie Gilmore is saying about you at school today will not matter whatsoever because it does not diminish who you are in Christ Jesus. Not at all. Your value and your worth, we need to scream this from the mountaintops for our kids, is not in the opinions of others. It is not in your performance at school. It is not in that math test or that SAT thing you got coming up. It is not in any of that. It is in who God sees you as. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of the prodigal, and I tell it often because I think it's something that we need desperately to remember, especially in times of crisis. The prodigal is sitting in the, he's cleaning up after pigs, and he decides at that moment to come home to his dad. And it's in that moment of decision where he basically stands up and turns around and starts walking home. It's in the decision where he realizes, this is not who I am. I should be in my father's house. He'll take care of me. And so the father is scanning the horizon looking for his son every day. And while he was still a long way off, he sees the shadow and the shape of his son. And instead of waiting for the son to walk all the way home, the father runs to him. And Jesus is telling the story on purpose because he's basically saying the decision has already been made back in the pit. He was dead. And the decision to come home was when he got reborn. That was his repentance moment. And there was nothing he had to do no groveling he had to say, no magic words that he had to utter in order for, then to, for the father to forgive him. He was already, he, he was waiting. He just wanted his son to realize who he was. He was not supposed to be in the pit. He was supposed to be home with dad. That is who you are. And that is what Paul spends most of Ephesians trying to get across. There's nothing you can do. You don't need to get good to get God. You get God, then you get good. We've tried desperately to flip that equation for 2,000 years. And it's a part that we have to fight. But in reality, we know there's nothing we can do other than the acceptance and belief that Jesus already did. One of the more remarkable components of the Bible is the Last Supper. And this morning we're going to take communion together as a family. We, we do what's called open communion here at Eastridge. And this is um, when, if you are a believer in Christ, you're welcome to participate with us. You don't have to be a member or know the, the secret handshake. Um, but Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, gathered his disciples together, even the one who betrayed him and served him. So as we gather together at this common table, we're going to have you come up and take, take the elements and you take them back to your seats and we'll take it together. I want you to kind of remember who you are. Remember what Jesus did and how valuable you were to him that you were worth the very son of God and that sacrifice. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we ask and seek your forgiveness this morning for while we have strayed 
and placed our identity in things that are not of you. We bring them back squarely in the foundational truth of who you are and what you have done. And we thank you for accepting us at your table. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.